Welcome to the Metro Church Podcast. We hope you will be blessed by this message. For more information about Metro Church, visit our website at metrochurch.org.au. Three of this three-part series about strength. You can get the course, the previous two on YouTube if you would like to see them and uh, let them encourage you and strengthen you. If I was to ask you though, how often God speaks about joy in the Bible or Better still, if I was just to go out into the general populace of any nation, really, and say, do you think God really is into joy? Do you think it's a big topic in the Scripture? I'm imagining most people are going to say, oh, no, not from the churches I've seen or the Christians maybe that they've met. I think most people are probably going to guess it's around about, what, maybe 20 or 30 times in the Bible that joy is referenced. And yet the reality is, depending on the version you're reading from, it's around about 400 references to joy in Scripture. That's more than one for every day of the year. We are told to rejoice or to be joyful. Uh, If I was to ask you further to that, which book of the 66 books that make up the Bible Which book do you think references joy the most? I think most of us might be surprised at the way it's spread around the Scripture. Well, the book that references joy the most is one that's largely written by the poster boy for facing difficulties in life. He begins his adult life. When we first really read about him, the first time he erupts on the scene, It's a monumental battle against the champion warrior of the day, a giant. After that, he's persecuted and hunted for over a decade on his journey to his destiny. And his family life, even after he finally gets to the place of influence and rulership that he's destined for, his family life is anything but easy. That's right, of course, I'm talking about David and the book he's most responsible for, the Psalms. There are more than twice as many references to joy in the book of Psalms as there are in the next book after that, the book of Isaiah, which by the way is a book about the coming Messiah. And so joy is a big deal in the Bible. I think maybe David really kind of got onto it, caught on onto it. Maybe he knew what that other great Christian or, or godly leader of the Old Testament, Nehemiah, had to say when he said this in Nehemiah 8 and verse 10. He said, The joy of the Lord shall be your strength. Let me just read it out to you again. It says, Don't sorrow, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. We're speaking about strength in this part three. And I want to talk to you about something that I think gets so misunderstood. And because it's misunderstood, it's a bit like some of these clothes that many of us have dressed up. They've been lying there in the wardrobe. They were there and they were available, but we haven't put them on because we just kind of forgot that they were there. Or maybe we saw the environment we're in and thought, well, there's no need for that. What am I going to get dressed up for? And I think for a lot of people, joy is a bit like that. 
It's kind of in the back of the wardrobe somewhere. They're hoping that an occasion will arise when they'll want to put it on. They're hoping that somehow or other circumstance or their uh, surroundings will change enough. But Nehemiah 8 verse 10, there it is again. Don't sorrow because the joy of the Lord is your strength. Now, we're not talking here about some kind of Bobby Ferrin kind of don't worry, just be happy. We've probably all met someone like that who tries to cheer you up by just saying, don't worry about it. Well, it could be worse. And really, that's so unhelpful. That doesn't do anything for anyone. I have a bit of a personal abhorrence of Christian cliches. Well, don't worry. Ah, well, it's okay. Because I know that often when I'm in the middle of something that's full of pressure and when difficulty is there, the last thing I want to be told is that really my problems aren't that big a deal. That somehow or other my financial situation or my health issue, really, I ought to look on the bright side. I don't believe that's what the joy of the Lord is about. Over nine times in the book of Psalms, David puts it a particular way. He doesn't just say, you should have joy. He doesn't even just say, joy is good for you. He says, well, let me read to you one from Psalm 118 and verse 24. It says, this is the day that the Lord has made. Now watch this, because I think this is the key. He says, we will rejoice and be glad in it. He doesn't say, you know what? I'm just kind of hoping that somehow or other things are going to change and I'm going to get there. I hope I'll feel better soon. He actually says, right now, this is the day the Lord has made. I have made a choice. I'm determined that I will rejoice and I will be glad. Now, oftentimes in the Psalms, the beginning of the Psalm tells you about the the predicament that David's in. This is the Psalm he wrote when he was in the cave hiding from Saul. This is the one he wrote when he was hiding out at the Philistines. Well, I'm not sure about this Psalm in particular, but I just know that whatever it was that was going on in this poster boy uh, guy for difficulty in his life, whatever was going on, I know he'd made a decision that joy was a part of the answer for where he was in life. Let me read to you just one more scripture. It's out of Isaiah chapter 61 and verse 3, because it tells us again something about what it means for us to rejoice. It says this, Isaiah 61, to console those who mourn in Zion, to give them beauty for ashes, the oil of joy for mourning, the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness. It actually refers to our joyful expression of adoration and love for God as being like a garment that we can put on. You know, this morning I could have got up and put on my tracky pants. I could have put on my Red Frogs, uh, you know, hoodie. And I could have come in wearing that and it would have been my choice to put it on. But today I wanted to be a part of Suit Up Sunday. And so I went and got out this beautiful three-piece suit that last time I wore it was my youngest daughter's wedding. Just back there, uh, you know, months ago. I haven't worn it since. Wouldn't it be a shame if I never put on the garment of praise, except for a special occasion? 
Wouldn't it be sad if the only time I ever decided to exuberantly express my love and adoration for God was when I was in a conference somewhere or other. You know, when Darlene Check or, or Natalie Tanelliu or, or, or Tessie or somebody else was leading me powerfully and I was right there with the Holy Spirit. Rather, it says, put on the garment of praise when the spirit of heaviness is round about. Hold on a second there. God is speaking to someone in a very tight spot, feeling definitely under great pressure. And here's what God says. Go to your cupboard, go to your wardrobe, get out of that the garment of praise. And you go, I don't feel like that. I'm in no mood. I want to sit on the sofa. I want to suck my thumb. I want to just think, uh, play sad songs. I, I, I'm just, you know, it's not a great day. And God says, get up from where you are, go to the wardrobe, get out the garment of praise and put that on instead of the spirit of heaviness. Doesn't that just sound to you like a Jesus kind of thing to say? It seems to me that almost everything Jesus did was the complete opposite of what everyone else thought was normal. When a woman is caught in adultery and everybody there, all the normal thing to do is to punish her and judge her and Jesus, you know the story, gets down and writes in the sand. And one by one, the accusers leave after he says, whoever's without sin, let them throw the first stone. And little by little, one by one, they all melt away until it's just him and the woman. And then he looks up and says, where are your accusers? She says, they've gone. He says, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. It was the opposite. When he had that conversation at the well with the woman of Samaria, someone that a good Jew of the day would not even have actually engaged in, wouldn't have even said hello to or acknowledged their presence. And yet Jesus reveals himself as the Messiah to this woman. He does things so differently. The man with the withered arm that Jesus healed on the Sabbath and everybody else goes, you can't do that. He does things out of the ordinary. Feeding 5,000 when all the disciples said, send them away. And Jesus does things that are different. Almost all miracles involve someone doing the opposite of what everyone else would do. Moses speaks to a rock for water to be given to the children of Israel. Who'd speak to a rock? I understand it if you could speak to like, I don't know, soil. But a rock is the hardest thing of all. And yet God says, speak to that rock. Think about the miracle Pastor Bruce referred to earlier of the presentation of the wine at the wedding in Cana of Galilee. Think about that. That's the opposite of what everyone else would do. It seems to me that every miracle, I want you to get this, that almost every miracle involves someone doing the opposite of what we would consider normal human behaviour. I know lots of you will have heard me say before about acting in the opposite spirit, and I hope you're not sick of hearing it, but I think it's so fundamental to walking with God. It's not about doing a Christian behaviour. God is not interested in you and I learning rituals 
or ways of behaving just to present an image. What he's looking for is to bring change into our lives and our circumstance in our situation. And that's why he consistently reminds us or urges us to act in the opposite spirit. And so Jesus tells us when we are hurt, we should bless. If someone despitefully uses you, be a blessing to them. If we are in lack, Jesus tells us to give, to sow, to invest. It's the opposite of normal human behaviour. When we are down, when we're under pressure, the Bible tells us that the joy of the Lord will be our strength. In other words, this garment of praise that I put on, it's more than we might say to a little child, some kind of like, well, you know, where's your smile? Come on now. God is not the heavenly Father trying to kind of happy you up. It's far more powerful than that. It's about me acting in the opposite spirit. The spirit of heaviness is around about your life maybe right now. And maybe there's really valid reason for it. But if you and I are going to come out stronger, not just looking to feel better, but to be better, then we need to act in the opposite spirit. I think secondly, and perhaps just as importantly, the Bible tells us to rejoice in the midst of our our circumstance, in the midst of those contrary things that are happening in our life. I believe just as importantly as acting in the opposite spirit is this truth, that when I rejoice, even though everything around about me says, this is not the way I feel, I will rejoice moves feelings out of the driver's seat. You know, I've discovered that my problem, and I'm imagining yours the same, my problem is actually not my will. I will to do a lot of good things. I will to do things that are healthy. I will to do things that are godly. I will to do things that are right. I will in my will, ask me on a good day, and like everybody else, I'm going, yeah, I'm going to get fit. Yeah, I'm going to, you know, healthy up my diet. Yeah, that's right. I'm going to treat everyone nicely. I'm going to love everybody. I'm going to, we all have the will power. Our problem I've discovered is not that my willpower is faulty. It's that my feelings get in and get in the driver's seat of my life and will get shoved over into the passenger side somewhere rather, into the back seat, or worse still, I open the door and push willpower out and say feelings are going to drive my life. And you know, when I start saying, I will rejoice, I will rejoice, I'm saying to my feelings, listen here you, you are not the driver of my life. You are not the one that determines where I go. I will rejoice in Him and be glad. I will rejoice. This is the day that the Lord has made. I know it might sound trite, perhaps if you've never tried it. I was thinking just this week about uh, when I first joined this movement of churches called INC. And uh, I uh, was living in a flat all by myself. And it wasn't even a good one, a good apartment or unit, you might call it where you are. But it wasn't a good one. It was pretty old. 
and it was pretty bare. There was no good furniture. I didn't have much money and uh, I remember just getting whatever I could and I'm living in this place. I've told the story a few times about the cockroaches that were the only other accompaniment inside of that apartment, that flat. Well, I won't call it an apartment. That's way too good a term for it. I wouldn't even call it a unit. It was pretty much just, well, I don't know. It was old and decrepit. Anyway, the cockroaches were so big, I, seriously. And I remember this one night, there was this weird music playing in the house across the way and that was pretty wild. And I'm in there and I'm feeling all alone and lonely. And, you know, I've uh, changed jobs and, all, and it was just one of those things. And then in the middle of the night, cockroaches started attacking me. Can you believe it? They really did. I'm not making this up. They were flying at me like only Queensland cockroaches can do. They were flying in formation like an Air Force attack. They were coming in. And I remember getting up my, my uh, what we call them in Queensland, we call them thongs. Uh, if I'm going to you in Britain, I better call them flip-flops or jandals, I believe they are in New Zealand. Whatever, anyway. I remember getting these things. And I'm, it's, it's, it's so hilarious. When I remember it now, I think how crazy. I'm running around this flat chasing these things. I couldn't get them. Eventually, I jumped into the bed and pulled the sheet over my head and eventually went to sleep. Well, I remember the next day thinking how this was just not a great space. And somehow or other, I either heard someone preach or I just read it in the Scripture, that very verse where God says, I've given you the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness. The spirit of heaviness was definitely in that flat. And I remember, even though I was all alone, and to be really honest, I felt like a bit of a goose. I felt a little bit silly, but I went around and I hit every wall and I began to praise out loud the name of Jesus. I began to declare how good God was. And you know, I, I, don't, I couldn't explain it to you, but I do know that something changed in that place because I went to the wardrobe and got the garment of praise and put it on. My problem isn't my will. My problem is, well, feelings are good. They're not bad or wrong, but they're terrible givers of direction. They're not who you want behind the steering wheel of your life, determining where you're going to go, how you're going to respond to that person who's hurt you. Because when we get hurt, we all feel exactly the same. It's not fair. We feel like we want them to be punished. That's normal. But Jesus tells us, don't do what's normal for all of humanity. Act in the opposite spirit and get feelings out of the driver's seat. I will rejoice in you and be glad. I will extol your love more than wine, it says in the book of the Song of Solomon. I want to encourage you today. In a minute, I'm going to give you an opportunity with a very special, not presentation, but special ministry by our team here and by the wonderful Nikki Johnson, who's going to come and lead us again. And it's moving and it's beautiful, but I don't want you just to watch. I want you to engage. I want you to enter in and to say, I'm going to worship. I'll be back uh, before that to read to you a scripture. But can I talk to you right now? 
I know there are people watching this and you haven't made your peace with God. You've never said to Jesus, thank you for dying for me. Oh, you know that He died on a cross. You know that all the things that other people have said to you and people that have told you how wonderful a change following Christ or accepting Christ has made in their life. But you haven't done it yourself yet. You haven't said your yes. Maybe your mother or your father or your grandparents or maybe one of your children has said yes to Christ, but you haven't done it. God wants you to come into that place of surrender and acceptance of Him. He wants to come into your life and all it takes is a yes. The number, if you're in Australia, is up there on the screen for you, 488 If you'd prefer to get this discipleship help, via email or you're outside of Australia, then you simply go to yes.metrochurch.org.au and put your details in there. And then we will send you every day a scripture, a different one every day. We'll put in there, not only that, but a prayer for you that you can pray and make yours. You'll get a different one every day for 30 days. It comes from us at Metro Church and nobody else is involved. It's just us wanting to be a part of seeing your spiritual journey grow and develop into everything that God has for you. I want to pray for you right now. I just know this morning or this evening, whenever it is you're watching this, I know there are people and you need to make your peace with God. Would you say yes to Christ today? Let me pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for every person that's a part of this service of Metro Church Online. Many of us, Lord, know the incredible power of that simple yes. We said yes to you. And as inadequate as our ability in that moment might have seemed, it opened the door to you and to your great grace and love, your forgiveness, your peace and your joy. So Lord, I thank you for those people right now that are saying yes in their heart. I thank you, Lord, this is the beginning of the greatest season and journey of their life they could ever have imagined. We pray for them today, Lord. Those of us that have said yes are praying for them as they make their yes to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you for saying yes, 488 or go to yes.metrochurch.org.au. Now this morning, as I mentioned, because I'm not going to pray for you in the midst of all of your difficulties and challenges that are coming to your life. I want you to do something today. So wherever you are at home, whether you're watching this in a, perhaps in a cafe somewhere or other, and you've got your little earbuds plugged in there or your headphones on and you're watching this and maybe people around about you are wondering what on earth is going on. And what's so engrossing you. In a minute, Natalie and the team are going to come. And as I mentioned, Nikki is going to dance. And I've seen this and it's incredibly moving. Thank God for all the different expressions of worship and all the different ways that we're able to bring something before God. I'm not asking you to dance around your lounge room, wherever you are. I am asking you to enter in and to echo the words of the psalmist and say, today, Lord, I will rejoice.
I'm not going to allow what's happening around my world to tell me how I'm going to respond. Lord, from this moment on, I'm going to act in the opposite spirit. Lord, from this moment on, I'm going to put feelings out of the driver's seat and I'm going to allow what I choose to do to you and for you. I'm going to allow that to be the one that determines my direction. Let me finish by reading to you Psalm 149 and verse 5. It says this, Let the saints be joyful in glory. Did you get that? It's saying, come on, we have got the glory of God around our life as believers. Then don't let it just sit there. Let there be an expression of joy to God. Let them sing aloud on their beds. Let the high praises of God be in their mouth and a two-edged sword in their hand to execute vengeance on the nations, punishments on the peoples, to bind their kings with chains and their nobles with fetters of iron. It's speaking about those forces that come against your life. It's not talking about literal people in front of you. It's speaking about demonic powers. It's speaking about those influences that exist in our world, the things that want to press you down and squeeze joy out of your life to let you go about with your head hung low, to execute upon them the written judgment. And get this, watch this here. It doesn't say this honour belongs to, you know, all the pastors or the leaders or some special group. It says this honour have all His saints. That's you. If you're a follower of Jesus, you're called one of the saints. That saints aren't those that have died and gone before It's us that are living as a part of the body of Christ. This honour have all of His saints and it finishes by saying what? Praise the Lord. This morning, Pastor Bruce is going to be ready out there at the Connect Hub in a minute, ready to take your prayer requests, ready to invite you to join with us in believing for others. I hope you'll stay for that. But before then, come on, will you do this wherever you are? I know you might go, oh, Jeff, but I'd feel silly. silly. Jeff, you know, but aren't I being dishonest, not true to myself if I, if, I, if I kind of do that? I would say, oh, no, you're being obedient. Your feelings are just the moment that you're in right now. Put them out of the driver's seat. I will rejoice. I will be glad. I will bring praise in Jesus' name. God bless you. Thanks. 